Gentlemen, start your engine. Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, Radio Hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Diabolical uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotler. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. Once in a blue moon, you know, when there's a miracle going or something, she might get it on a Friday, but she never actually gets it until the Monday, so it's very annoying, but it is what the system is. It is what the system is, which is a good uh, segue to going straight into episode 92 of Radio Hot Lap, that zany podcast that takes a light-hearted look at the world of motor racing, cool technologies, emerging technologies and gadgets. This afternoon, here we are in sunny Port Melbourne at the O'Connell Century Hotel, a very, very lovely hotel. We thought we'd do a bit of a show with one of our almost possibly regular co-hosts on the show, because you've definitely been on it more times than many. Marcus Zakanovic, V8 supercar driver extraordinaire. How are you, mate? John, how are you, mate? Very good. And uh, also joining us today is, uh, well, a man of many talents. In fact, uh, he's... Uh, his title is editor at large of Auto Action. Now, that uh, looking at him from here, he's not that large specifically in terms of rotundness, which means that they can never find you. Mark Fogarty, welcome. Hello, viewers. John, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Yeah, well, I'm a long wheelbase model. You are. That's right. Almost a, a Mercedes 600, a Grosser, yeah, a Pullman. A Pullman. Good. Knows both models. But uh, why are you at large? Does that mean because you're, you know, like a detective story, they can never find you? That's part of it. A moving target is very difficult to hit, I've always thought. So uh, they just let, let me loose to roam around and get on with my business and uh, get on with um, annoying all the people in V8 supercars principally. I think I'm known for digging my nose in where it's not supposed to be. And uh, so it's basically a bit of a loose cannon, I suppose. And every so often I can flit off overseas and, you know, ruffle a few feathers over there. So. Uh, it's a bit of a nebulous title, but it does give me quite a lot of freedom. Nebulous, good word. Now, if you were playing Scrabble, and it was a triple word score, how many points? Quick, first on the buzzer, 27. Is it? No. I know nothing I about just Scrabble. Thought I'd be on a, I've never played I mean, Scrabble in my life, which is funny for a so-called wordsmith, but it's not my you, game. Now, you are nebulous, yes, a good word. And uh, you do like to cause a bit of, bit of trouble, but I think that's okay, and I think there needs to be people like that causing trouble. Now I'm going to hand you a card and I want you to tell me what sort of trouble would be involved with this person. Nigel Stepney. That's a blast from the past from Formula One days. Well he's turned up at Gigawave Motorsport uh, with Alan Simonson running the uh, the GD1 car there. Uh, a lovely bloke indeed. In fact uh, when I met him at Le, Le Mans uh, this year he said this sports car racing stuff's great. Everyone has a laugh and everyone paying out on each other. I'm sick of that Formula One stuff. Very easy to get tired of Formula One. I was over it years ago. I did it full time for what I guess five years in the late 80s early 90s and you know fascinating era particularly with Ayrton Senna there but the people in Formula One, it's, um, well, someone nicknamed it the Piranha Club, I think when Eddie Jordan joined, Ron Dennis said, welcome to the Piranha Club, and it really is like that, although, as time has passed, I have fond memories of these people, and I still turn up to Formula One races every so often, and a lot of the same faces are around, like Frank Williams, Ron Dennis, people like that. I don't know, I'm beginning to think, actually, that um, 
it's actually a nicer environment than the V8 supercar paddock. <laughs> well, there you go, no, chew on that one. It eh? has oh. a bit of depth. It's... How do you mean depth? Well, of characters. Oh yeah, it does have plenty of characters. I mean, so does V8 supercars, but I don't know. There's so much politics and backstabbing going on in the V8 supercar paddock. Honestly, I mean people at home just wouldn't realise the shenanigans that go on behind the scenes. I think, Marcus, you'd probably agree, wouldn't you? Yes, there's definitely uh, oh, mixed emotions and politics uh, getting on for our supercars, but, you know, it's obviously the chosen sport of Australia, and, you know, you sort of, if being a part of it, you have to just sort of, you know, deal with it and just keep going with the sport if, if you truly love it. So, it's, uh, it's definitely different. It's the only game in town here, and it's a good game. Yes, not it saying is. it's not, it's a very good game, but mainstream motorsport wise it's the only game in town and I think that's a bit of a shame you know I'm old enough to remember the days when there was a diversity of um, popular classes in Australian motorsport and you know there'd be well open wheelers used to be the touring cars of their day back in the 60s and 70s um, and then touring cars took over and but you see so you had big open wheeler championships you had sports sedans you had sports cars you had production car racing there was a diversity and as a young journalist back in the mid-late 70s, you know, I used to report on and cover for newspapers and then on the radio, um, much more than just touring car racing, you know, even then it become the big deal. But we were, I was giving coverage and so were my colleagues to other aspects of the sport in mainstream media and now if you pick up a newspaper or, you know, tune on the television or radio, if you hear about anything other than V8 supercars and Formula One occasionally, you know, boy, you're lucky. Mm. There were some uh, interesting days there back in the in the 70s. I remember the Amaru uh, races. You'd have probably been there for the Amscar series and yep. things like that. Could you tell us what happened to uh, George Fury and uh, Frank Gardner's Terry Telling Hats? Well, the Terry Telling Hats, I would hope, are in a museum somewhere because they were Frank's signature. As along... they were George's. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. I... George Fury. Now, where would he, he be? He was a farmer. Yeah, and down he drove in at the first on the Murray the River, didn't he? Blue, blue buzzard. Yeah, but he lived on. Is it Telmelmo? Not sure. Up sounds on the Murray, um, just the other side of the border from Albury, and he used to drive. He used to drive the school bus there, and I remember as a kid, a young bloke anyway, going up to do a feature story on him, you know, for Motor Magazine or Modern Motor, as it was called then. And I went all these windy dirt back roads, which were good fun, even though I was driving something, you know, completely prosaic, like a Holden sunbird or something but you know cars back in the late 70s you know i mean they no, were giving you the car yeah so it was they, but you know them. no grunt but no grip either and on a dirt road you could be you know you could be george pretending to be george fury the rally driver so i'm <laughs> speeding along and i get to his farm and i do the interview and said okay george you know that we've got to have the you know the big the photo for this story is you driving the school bus and for some reason i've got it in my head school bus is going to be one of those big yellow rios you know like you see in the movies and all yes. that and i thought this would be great so, George, where's the school bus? Very st stereotypical. <laughs> it, what is it? It's, I don't know, some sort of, you know, Toyota High Ace van, multi-seater or something, you know, <laughs> why? Looks like a refrigerator on wheels. I said, oh, this is not good, you know. Anyway, but, no, I remember George, he was, um, well, he was a rally ace and then went on to be a touring car race in those wickedly quick um, Nissan uh, turbos. Bluebird, that's Bluebird, right, that's right. Turbo. I, I think, and in fact, uh, one of the Japanese drivers that came over here in the in the late uh, early eighties, no, early eighties, yeah, stuck right, it on the, pole. That's right, yeah. Well, it's it's Sashimi, Sashami. 
Yeah, sushi, something like that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not politically correct, is it? Yeah. Sorry. Well, you know, well, <laughs> no, it was but having a whale at the time. Those things were stonkingly quick, weren't they? <laughs> they <laughs> boom, boom. They, um, yeah, they were wickedly quick, but they weren't terribly reliable. But uh, yeah, they were good old days, and there's a lot of discussion going on amongst the fans, I guess you would say, about you know having more makes in V8 supercars. You know, do we need the sort of duopoly that's going or? Do the fans really want to see um, a lot of different makes in racing? Uh, big question, big call. What do you reckon, Marcus? I'm a bit, well, I think I'd like to see a diff- few different makes in the category. I think it would just uh, really open it right up. I mean, if you compare it to NASCAR, I don't think it hurt NASCAR one little bit. I think it's actually made a lot better, give more more variety. I think it'd be good, personally. Yeah, I... I like the idea of different makes, but it would have to be carefully controlled because otherwise, you know, if the rules aren't watertight and everyone's not on the same playing field, it would just get out of control like it did with Group A, um, you know, in the mid to late 80s and the early 90s. And, you know, that's what begat V8 supercars or their uh, beginnings was because um, things like the Nissan GTR, you know, Godzilla, you know, these uh, special homologation cars that were just, you know, ridiculously expensive to develop for the manufacturer and then to race, they just, you know, the, the cost of racing was just you know, going out of control. And we're heading that way at the moment. It's actually a big issue for V8 supercars is getting its hands around the cost spiral. You know, it's getting very, very expensive to say the least. And I tell you what, you'd be surprised how many teams on the grid are actually struggling a lot more than they certainly let on and a lot more than people realise. You know, that's I don't know if it'd be half the grid, but I think it's getting pretty close that there are a lot of teams that are running pretty close to the edge and a couple of big names in there too. Sustain- sustainability is definitely the key. Um, you know, you might uh, you may or may not like the fact that we only have this one category there, but without the hard efforts of all the people behind it, you know, it wouldn't be there. And much like people go, I don't like Phil Ward. But at the end of the day, if it hadn't been for someone like him who put all those cars there, which is a great category in its own right and quite sustainable, I mean, you've got to have people like that around. Those Aussie racing cars, they look like so much fun, don't they? I mean, they I, have you had a go? Wide. No, I've never driven one, actually. <laughs> I'd love to have a go. Phil, if you're listening, mate, I'm always up for a guest drive because I reckon they'd be insane. <laughs> if you bring your checkbook, you're in. <laughs> My what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My debit card. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just gonna. Look, what are we, we drinking? We have, here? Exactly. We what, well, what we're drinking today is. Why don't you introduce the wine? Because it's a Victorian special from the Mornington Peninsula. Yes, it's a Teagalant Pinot Gris. Teagalant. Is that what it is? I'm glad you could read it. Oh, I see all that scrawling. And it's got nothing to do with Mitsubishi. No, that's probably not a bad thing either. So it's a uh, 2007 Imogen Pinot Pinot Gris. Yes. Gris. Gris. Pinot Gris, Gris, you're right. Gris is the French variant and Grigio the Italian. Yes, that's right. So you obviously know a bit more about this than I do. I'm just, um, I'm an expert at drinking. Well, you've covering about it, really. <laughs> you're recovering from a day off yesterday. Yes, whilst, uh, thank you for Kennedy mentioning that. Is, uh, Def Marcus is getting in training for a Bathurst, which is only a long way away. Yeah, a long way away, yeah. <laughs> With some uh, Diet Coke. Yeah, just uh, struggling to uh, keep the sugar levels down. It's got a sad a, sight, isn't it, really? It's a terrible a sight, but uh, you know his dad will be listening, and uh, you know he's, he's only allowed the lolly water. Now I, I want you to think about some of the greatest excuses of all time, because I, I have one that I'd like to um, relate to you. Which, soon we were talking about Amaru, um, was uh, one of with Peter Brock, who um, and you might remember at an Amscar race uh, entered the pit lane, but 
had a little bit of a, the soapy, a, a, a zizzler, zizzler up. The soapy water story. That's right. The soapy water coming out from the, uh, press, the, box. the, the press box that blamed on the little old ladies, the, the tea, tea washing up ladies, that there was a bit of slippery foam there and a bit of sunlight and uh, ka-ching. That was a great <laughs> Wayne Webster story in the Daily Telegraph. Now, I don't know if people have ever heard of Wayne Webster. Yes, He's I know Wayne a Webster. Very in fact, uh, Brett, she was go- he was going out with Linda Long, wasn't she? wasn't he, Linda? You're listening. Really? You remember that, Linda? So she's a member of an exclusive club then, of um, having well, gone out with Wayne Webster. <laughs> Gee, there's a few of them. For quite a, quite a while. But no, Webby is um, a very talented writer. He's just um, published a book, Peter Brook, How Good Is It? And it's a great read. It really is. But um, yeah, Webby's, saw been, that. Yeah, Webby's been out of the business for a while and uh, the book is his uh, comeback, as it were. But anyway, he wrote this story in the Daily Telegraph and I was at that meeting and it was, it was so funny because the press box um, was uh, overlooking the corner coming onto the main straight at Amaru. Yes, glad you can remember. And it had a little drain that spilled out onto the circuit. Well, that was the story, don't really, really know. And Brock, as you say, basically did a David Coulthard and sort of, you know, ploughed on coming to the pit lane and it all went wrong. And Webby's beat up this story, and I really think beat up is the right word, about how, you know, Brock lost the race because he slipped on some soap suds that had come out of the sink in the press room. And But blamed the little old ladies who washed up well, the teacups, because back in those days you really got proper service. You did, media, but it wasn't a little old lady. And this is the, the sort of the follow-up to the story was the woman who ran the press room in those days was Sharon McKay, who was the partner of well-known journalist Peter McKay up in Sydney. And Sharon was not impressed. Not impressed at all. So I can uh, pretty much guarantee that, uh, let's say, at the next Amaru meeting that Wayne Webster got very poor service in the press room. She was really dark on him. So, uh, yeah, it's funny you remember that. I think that's one of the the great stories in in motorsport, that one. Got one? I was trying to think of one well, off the top of my head. And we can, and we can, There's we can, so many. Most of them involve me, though, and I'm, I'm not sure I can my actually... age here, how young I am, because I know none of this stuff. You've never been to Amber. No. Oh, no. it was one of the Amber. greatest tracks where it was a natural amphitheater. You heard of Peter Brock? I have heard of oh, Peter Brock. Good, good, good. Etten Senna? Yes. Heard of him? Yes. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. Well, so you, we got a little start. You know the, the main player. Yeah. <laughs> So we, we just chat amongst ourselves yeah, yeah, while yeah, you're yeah, rummaging yeah, around yeah, that's there. that's right, you know, because I, at least I'm one of the people... Have you prepared, prepared, actually? Slightly. Oh, no. I know. And uh, I'd just like to say that uh, they're due to uh, the Nigel factor, probably, somewhat, mm. well, not for us to say, that uh, McLaren has had to diversify um, its operations. And this week, the uh, McLaren uh, Research Centre opened the lake to fishing. Yes, I saw and, that. And um, there's a couple of um, large fish that obviously got thrown in there before. What, what do you make of that story? I'm vaguely aware of it. Is this in aid of a charity, isn't it? Yes. Huh. Well, if you've ever seen the McLaren Tech Centre, and I haven't been in it, I've driven past it quite a few times. It's in Woking in Surrey, which is near um, where I used to live, mm-hmm. um, just on the edge of London, and still stay with friends over there. And it's an impressive building, and it does have this basically this lake around it. I mean, it's an architectural, piece of architectural splendour. It's, Designed it's by yin uh, yang, isn't it? Sir Norman the, Foster. The roof, I think. Looking down, it's a yin and yang symbol. Mm, yeah, whatever. What's that mean? <laughs> mean yeah, anyway? exactly. Yin and yang. I don't even yeah. know that. Who are they? He gets it's a very impressive occasionally. Bill. Yeah, we've got to steer this back on. But anyway, <laughs> um, so we've got this fishing contest, and I don't really know why I'm talking about it because I'm hardly an angling correspondent. Although there was a famous Formula One correspondent, just being a Terry Tangent myself, Stan Peacher, who used to write Formula One for the Sun in the late 80s and early 90s. He was um, 
he started off as the Sun newspaper, which is like the ultimate tabloid newspaper in British um, media. Um, he started off as an fishing champion himself and was the angling writer and then became one of the most um, colourful Formula One writers. There you go. Nothing to do with anything, just a little bit of trivia that I'd just throw colour, in there. Just and, and to pad out my lack of knowledge and lack of ability to read about and, this and just fishing contest at McLaren while I'm trying to talk. Well, but anyway, how did they, well, have you know, any idea how they got the fish in there or do the fish live there already? No, I think it's like that American shore catch sort of setup. There, you, you know, you're driving down like towards uh, San Diego or something, and you drive past a pond, and it just goes, Look, you chuck your line, and you're guaranteed to catch it. You've got to throw it back in because they just keep. He's keep talking about fishing. Is he talking what... to us? Are, are, we, are we here? <laughs> <Is> what... <laughs> Anybody out there listening? Do you care? About... Come on. Look, I'll tell you about my exercises this morning. <laughs> I had to do a little bit. Oh, look, oh. tumbleweed rolling yeah. down the street. <laughs> crickets? Cheap. Do I hear cricket? Cheap from the customers. <laughs> <laughs> this morning, there I was in the. Uh, in, uh, to, to steal John Heindorf's uh, terminology from Radio Le Mans, Zakanovic Towers in Nidri. Nidri, yes, Nidri, correct. while you had to bail off because you'd lost some We'd lost a few grey imports somewhere <laughs> yeah. in LA. Um, I decided I'd go down the road and say, look, I really want a steak sandwich. And I found, to my disgust, that steak sandwiches are a dying art, as are bakeries with uh, Australians. Mm. Um, I could not find... <laughs> a steak sandwich shop just like a good old sizzle it up and give it to me but finally a coffee shop did a good coffee and out came the steak sandwich but it was diced diced steak sandwich and I thought that was really interesting uh, I, I said can I have lettuce and tomato and blah 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 and all that stuff but she said would you like salad with that I went, what was that she said, I know would you like that on the side I went mean, just just do it in that I'm halfway through the sandwich, I went, oh whatever, they didn't bring the onions. And then a bloke comes out with a with a silver goblet with these freshly steamed onions in there. With apologies from the chef. It was a good sandwich, but you know, the art of a steak sandwich is dying. And uh, as summer comes on, you know, we're going to need to sizzle up. You're right. Nobody can make the good old Aussie salad sandwich anymore either. A number of times I go into a shop and ask for a salad sandwich. And, you know, it's what, pretty no basic. No. No, it's just, you know, lettuce, tomato, shredded carrot. Mm, yeah, maybe not so much. You know, mayonnaise, tasty cheese, beetroot. Got to have beetroot. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's one that's of the delicacies of, of an Australian, Australian life, salad a salad sandwich. sandwich you know, but you've got to almost provide written instructions for people in sandwich shops to do it properly. Otherwise, they want to put all this alfalfa and all this uh, taxi drivers during the stuff day. In it, you know, this fruit, is the thing now, lettuce, please tell me that am I the only odd person out there that cannot stand this gourmet lettuce oh, that they yeah. put in that stuff? What's wrong with good old iceberg, eh? Oh, it's crisp, finally, it cuts finally. up, it tastes, well, nothing enough that it doesn't interfere, but yes. the texture's right. It's yeah. not sharp, it doesn't yeah. want to cut your mouth to Exactly, pieces. you know, what is oh, it with lettuce that please. it's got spikes on it and then tastes bitter? Me, I think we've just opened Pandora's box. for example. Oh, it, whatever, they're all weeds. Anything with iceberg is just a weed that yeah, they're correct. putting on your sandwich. See, finally, just someone's but could you have iceberg thinking. with a Caesar salad? Yes, you could. Oh, yeah. Iceberg is... Cosworks. Ice, just, only just, I'd still go iceberg. Yeah. I, the, the thrill of going into a... Well, it's got to be a supermarket now, doesn't it? You can't go into a greengrocer's, you know, unless you, you know, drive 100 miles somewhere. Going in... One thing I learned from my mother who used to dispatch me off to do the shopping on afternoons after school was how to pick a good lettuce. So I'd go in the greengrocers and I'd be poking around because it had to be a lettuce with a loose heart. 
you know if the thing's like a stone and you can sort of like bounce it and break concrete well that's no good it's got to be nice and loose inside <laughs> and it's true this isn't you know mum taught me this and to this day i still go in even in you know coals and still sitting there people looking at me what i'm doing i'm poking and squeezing i'm squeezing the lettuce how good does that look <laughs> that be some dodgy question. Yeah, but you know, it's it's hard to find a lettuce with a loose heart. <laughs> There's a line in there, but I'm there not going to work on that. Uh, you said uh, to me that you weren't particularly uh, cooking friendly or um, more technology friendly, but it appears that you you do have a bit of a clue about uh, what you like. It's in the amazing what you absorb, but generally speaking, I would describe myself as the cooking antichrist. <laughs> I do not cook. It's fairly blunt. Yeah, I do not cook. <laughs> Barbecue. I buy in. I can do them, but I'm basically lazy. If someone cooks for me, I love food. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Love food. But And if someone cooks it for me, excellent. Like, I never eat breakfast. But one of the great delights of, of being away and in a hotel somewhere is that you go downstairs because someone's laid on the breakfast for you. So you load up with the full English breakfast. It's great. But when I get up... Like this morning, well, not this morning, not a good example, I suppose. Um, but normally, would I get up and throw some eggs on the frying pan and cook up some bacon and toast and all that sort of stuff? Would I? What? On holidays, Please. you might. No. No. That's just more hard work at the end. Yeah, exactly. Holiday is supposed to be. I have no. to say that I'm, I'm much the same as you. I'm not much of a breakfast person. You know, maybe a coffee. Ideally, and, and a, you'd uh, have a good woman there to cook for you. And that's not a sexist declaration. It's just <laughs> a fact that a woman who enjoys cooking and enjoys cooking for her man would be an excellent addition to my little family unit which is a family unit of one at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on the expansion trail. I'm up for it. Any yeah, lady I'm members? open. I'm open to offers. Well, uh, much like Rodney Forbes, who uh, <laughs> recently decided to put himself available on the in-car camera in Carrera Cup, <laughs> which I thought <laughs> he put. And he's he's a he's a red top like you. Another ranger. Uh, a ginger. <laughs> a ginger. <laughs> you know, he, he, he actually has come in um, after a bit of a break um, in, in, from supercars to drive. The, Career a cup and, and actually not doing too bad hasn't hit too many people uh, but yeah it said Rodney Forbes is single and available on the in-car I wonder if he got any takers I mean this could turn into a dating chat line this thing could say well. who he was up for I might get lucky <laughs> there's no might. criteria speaking, sort of speaking of which sort of what what's happened to Linda Long well um where is she she used to be a feature of the show in the was. earlier days and I used to enjoy that so she was a feature but uh, Linda um, was um, scurried away to uh, taller pastures um, and um, we don't see a lot of Linda uh, lately although we're still very good friends and in fact we go back way hi, Linda. till the... Yeah. Uh, till the Hello Linda, we never met but hi, Linda. enjoyed <laughs> listening to you <laughs> but, so, uh, I so there, wasn't a a fall, there wasn't a falling out I couldn't know there uh, wasn't a falling uh, out uh, but, uh, as such but um, a whiff of some sort of friction here well Linda and I were, uh, were partners for a while uh, uh, but uh, that was uh, a while ago I see. And uh, there was a bit of a, well, Warwick Rookland was on the scene, and uh, this was post of Wayne Webster, and anyway. Busy uh, girl. Yes, and she, she's, <laughs> uh, variety is the spice of life, but, but she's great, and I caught up with her in Sydney a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we'll be seeing her down at uh, Mount Buller Sprint, which I think she's still doing work for, for Les Walton Rally. Okay, so a small possibility down the track of a, of a guest comeback, a return appearance. In fact, uh, guess. Uh, 
Well, episode 100 is coming up, Mark. The and big that one. means, uh, that could, yeah. I think, all the girls, and in fact, we might even try and get Amber Anderson um, to, to come along if, if we can find her, if she's not busy, you know. Travelling overseas. With people that we don't know. Driving Rolex sports cars. Something like that. Yeah. Stealing watches. <laughs> Where do you get a job like that? <laughs> just, yeah, my careers counsellor never gave me that option. Gene change. You'll be right. What? Tell us what? what's happening in no, the world. So what colour? I've got jeans on. What would I need to change? Oh, I see. Sorry. Mark, before we uh, have a little intermission, an interlude while we uh, have a look at the... Oh, we the, get a break. The me we? and you. Yeah. Um, tell us what's been happening this week at Auto Action and uh, the news. It's all good. Auto Action Towers as ever. <laughs> oh, I've got towers. It's condominiums. Is it? Auto action condominiums. Ah, uh, yeah, AA well, apartments. Uh, AA a bar cut, possibly. But um, now we're always pretty busy, and the <coughs> the big story coming up that we'll be chasing hard is that uh, last Friday, the Friday just been, um, the V8 Supercars Australia Board of Directors were meeting up in. Um, Queensland, because I'm not sure whether it was on the Gold Coast or in Brisbane, but anyway, and they were um, basically considering and uh, working through to approve a number of pretty big changes for V8 supercar racing next year. A lot of cost containment work, a lot of um, discussion about more control components and more control specifications for the engines and parts in the engines um, race formats for next year which at the sprint rounds are almost certainly going to be uh, two longer races one on Saturday one on Sunday rather than you know the three race one on Saturday two on Sunday format at the moment a lot of that has to do with the switch to E85 um, ethanol is it? well it's an ethanol petrol uh, mix 85, uh, 85% ethanol 15% petrol and it's a biofuel I suppose you would call um, that this is gives the green them, strategy yes it is the green strategy a little more effective and useful than V8 racing green which just goes around tra- planting trees everywhere to try and give it a neutral carbon footprint make it carbon neutral E85 means that fuel consumption increases you get a bit more power apparently but fuel consumption increases so basically I understand that they just don't with the uh, capacity of fuel tanks the cars have at the moment which is Marcus 120 liters yeah um, for the distance of race they're proposing these mini mini enduros if you like um, they basically can't go the distance on a, on a tank so they're going to introduce um, fuel stops and that will also mean Marcus you might know something about this I think also that the compulsory pit stop as such is going to be um, thrown out because the, the feeling is well you've got to come in and stop for fuel anyway well, you that's cost contained. And, and so you'll, you'll change the tyres then. So it'll introduce some, some strategy as to when you have your fuel stop as well, I, I guess. So that's one of the big issues. And then the other thing that they were deliberating on was Holden's claim through Holden Racing Team for a parity adjustment. Here we go in V8 Supercars. The P word is back. Holden have been looking for a parity adjustment against the uh, with the for the VE Commodore versus the BF Falcon. Um, this is really dry as it's really turgid stuff but I guess it gets down to the fact that Holden has been compiling data over quite a while going back to probably almost this time last year that um, the Falcon has a high speed advantage over the over the Commodore that being that the new Commodore um, although it's you know on average I guess you could say as quick as the previous VZ model um, it's got more frontal area it's got a bigger you know a bluffer nose so at fast tracks particularly like Bathurst and Bahrain where we saw it last year 
Holden claim that the Falcon has up to an eight kilometre per hour top speed advantage. So they've been jumping up and down, um, asking for the parity system, which was dismantled at the end of last year, to be reinstigated and some adjustments so that going into Bathurst um, and the final few rounds of the V8 Supercar Championship that Holden can get some relief and adjust the this what they claim is an aerodynamic disparity between the VE Commodore and the VFL Falcon. The board were going to deliberate on that. Off the top of my head, I'd say good luck, Holden. I think it's a bit too late because apparently it's not going to be an issue next year with a new FG Falcon, which has a similar bluff front end in racing form to the Commodore. But Holden are very determined and through Mark Scape they put in this petition um, and the board was going to weigh that up and um, I would imagine by about the time that um, people are listening to this um, we'll start hearing about what the outcome was or wasn't. And no doubt you'll be able to pick it up at uh, your local news agent next Wednesday, if you're certainly in this state, Victoria, mm. or the eastern states, but uh, possibly Friday in, um, in South Australia for all the news. Apparently so. Action. I'm a bit distressed to hear that, uh, we're all distressed at Auto Action, of course, to hear that our good friends in <laughs> South awesome. Australia and Adelaide, that both of you can't get it on, uh, <laughs> no, that we can't uh, get Adelaide it on. fans can't get the magazine till Friday that's one of the quirks of the distribution system that frankly I don't know anything about and don't wish to but um, normally speaking yes um, at some stage between Wednesday and Friday auto action is available from all good news agents every week and that was uh, very much uh, um, uh, reiterated by Simon McNamara um, considering the success of Clips of 500 over there much to the chagrin of uh, Ray Price who said I don't care and why would you? The he doesn't care about. Sorry, you. He doesn't you're care mixing about. Metaphors sort he doesn't, of there. He doesn't no, care. Really. He doesn't care you're mixing about. Mixing two subjects. Well, when when Ford are on top and and, oh, yeah. and maybe on the forty nine yeah. percent rule yeah. versus the fifty one percent. Well, they're not really Holden, interested. For, interested Holden for. may have a case, and I suspect he might see this at places like Bathurst and Bahrain. But you know, as a PR gambit, it's been very badly handled. You know, at this time of year. You know, with Garth Tander leading, which is a bit of an aberration actually, um, it's not on sheer performance at all, a bit of luck there because FPR and particularly Mark Winterbottom, you know, really are the pace setters. Um, but you know, Ford's winning up for a change, this time last year it was Holden that were winning up big, so it just, it comes across a bit of sour grapes and um, I, my view is that, you know, Holden may well have had a case to put to V8 Supercars, but they should have gone in officially a lot earlier. This story was around actually, probably going back as far as, certainly as, as back as far as um, Sandown, which is early June. You know, there was whispers of this talk going around. So it's actually not a new thing. It's been bubbling below the surface for quite a while. Something to be expected in the land of V8 Supercars. Marcus, you got any input on that before we move away to international uh, themes? Yeah, well, it's just, it's interesting to sort of see. So I, I don't know. I'd be interested to see how it does pan out because it does look, you know, from from a driver's point of view, that the Fords seem to have a top speed advantage. But you know, I I not couldn't comment on as to why whether it be you know more horsepower Ford wise or less aero Holden wise. But uh, I can't see it being a more horsepower issue. So I would tend to go with Holden saying that it's probably a uh, aero package disadvantage. But I don't know enough about it to really comment on it. So. And it's a pity that you don't, because you have had a great drive at Phillip Island and Bath Bathurst with, uh, in the Autobahn car, snatched 
from your grasp by no one other than David Reynolds, the uh, 2007 Carrera Cup champ and uh, unfortunate uh, driver of the Mount Buller sprint last year. Uh, you're not happy about that. Have you thought about plastic explosives in his car <laughs> so that perhaps you get the call up? Having told me last yeah. night that you were the first person that they called last year when Scapey had appendicitis, but you're in bloody America. Yeah, that'll teach me to uh, Hence this Enduro round, I'm here in the country. I'm not out of the country. You're never out of the no. country. So, oh, look, I mean, look, it's, it, it is a sort of, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed, but at the same token too, I don't want to go out and uh, if, you know, if I'm not ready or, you know, the guys think I'm not ready, I mean, it's just... Yeah, it was a mutual agreement. Just, you know, one more year of experience really can't hurt, especially at that level with that team. Um, you know, like, there's really no room for, for, for me to hide if, if an error occurs, you know. They, it's a championship-winning car, it's a championship-winning team. You know, basically, it's, it's the third piece of the puzzle, and if, you know, if I make the blue, it's going to sort of really hurt my uh, racing career. So, you know, and look, to, to be fair as well, David Reynolds is in the same spot as I was, you know, this time last year. Yeah, he was penciled in to, to partner Craig Baird at, at Toll HSV, and uh, he was kind of had his drive sort of snatched from him as well. But uh, you know, but I don't think it's hurt him the extra year. You know, he'll sort of hop in and he'll do a great job for, for Toll HSV. You know, and a bit of luck this. You know, I'll continue my year this year and put more development in and more work with the guys and try and work on a drive for next year. Well, mate, I'd definitely like to you know wish you all the very best for Bathurst. Um, hope that it uh, you know great weather two races which don't have safety car and oh. intervention mm. and most importantly there is no uh, injuries and uh, the least amount of panel damage which will certainly do something for cost containment won't it Mark? It will that's what you need by the way Hardy where's this brake? That you oh the promised? brake's coming up but having said that V8 supercars is the most uh, um, you know bitchy backstabbing sort of environment I thought we'd, we'd go to the brake talking about the happiest race and the happiest race was held last weekend at Sepang. It's the annual Madurka Millennium 12-hour Endura. Now, in 2007, the event was won by my good friend Lars-Erik Nielsen, who um, I was uh, at uh, Le Mans with, the Danish driver, who was also one of Alan Simonson's good friends. He managed to, to come second this year. But I'd like to pass over to you, Mark, just a copy, because you do need to see it in mm. hard print, of how they, uh, they name the drivers. And there's a few Australian drivers there. And like, as I said, they're the happiest race, because it's like, uh, if we look down the list here, it's uh, Grant Johnson, but it's just Grant J. You know, how are you, mate? Yeah, it's uh, just the winner. Second, Lars Eric. You know, it's just... Very it's, casual, uh, yeah. Craig B. You know, and even this bloke here is just like Lawrence. Ah. He's in. What about uh, Mark E? That'll be Mark Eddie. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd be Mark F. <laughs> well, yeah, you'd have to be on the podium. Ah. Alex Davison was in uh, this race, was he not? Yes, he was. And in fact, uh, I think he uh, uh, won it. He did all right, I seem to remember reading. I'm not an expert on some well, of these well, they things. Got, but... look, look, this Damien. Just... Damien. Damien. Yeah, Melrose, they got Melrose right. That's right. Yes, this sounds like a pretty interesting race. Certainly got a diverse field of, you know, GT cars and production vehicles. And I heard one of the drivers talking about how, I think it might have been Alex Davis, and how it was a bit of an eye opener going to this event. <coughs> Excuse me, with such a diversity in the field and slow to fast that, you know, you're basically tripping over back markers all over the place and you have to keep your eyes open. So, 12 hours around there, that'd be a bit of a grind. Sweaty experience, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, interesting. Yeah, no, well, that's a bit like we were talking about earlier, is that, you know, the lack of diversity in the sport and, you know, events like that, they're never going to be huge 
TV rating events or huge crowd pullers, but you know, if you're interested in motorsport either as a fan or as a competitor, you know, those events where you can, you know, run at all different levels, you don't have to have a squillion dollars, you know, I think it's a really good idea. And I don't know, Marcus, um, long, long stints in a 12 hour race, I reckon it'd have to be pretty appealing to a driver, wouldn't it? Good value for money. Yeah, but well, as being, being a driver, I mean, that's that's what we love to do, and you know, the, 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 the more driving you get to do, the better it is. Well, that's that's you know, my theory anyway. So, the other thing that would probably would be a little bit annoying would be the humidity in Malaysia, I reckon. But uh, no, driving at 12 hours would be great just to go around and around and around. The nightlife would make up for it. And on that note, I think we should go to uh, the break while we choose our luxurious afternoon repast. Is this and, like uh, they used to have at the, the movies, intermission? Yes, would you yeah. like a... Well, I'll have to cut this with a bit of music, like... like uh, Go and buy some Jaffas and roll them down the aisle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back soon, viewers. Te- we're going to have technology. Want to talk we are going to. We are going to have good. tech, Mark. Well, welcome back, we, viewers. We, we, welcome back. Yes, the guys viewers. got excited. They're off and racing already. It, Mark's, Green flag uh, gone. Mark's, uh, had a, a second glass of uh, wine, which meant he's recovering nicely. I'm from feeling that. much yes. better. Yes, you are. You. you are. This is an elixir. This is an elixir. Am I looking? Yeah, I am feeling a lot better actually. Funny you should mention that. Turning up in an heavy. Uh, Paul Newman yeah. uh, sort of a golf yeah, jacket, yes. Uh, Aren't they among the, the most classic livery in motorsport ever, that golf blue and orange at Le Mans, they Steve McQueen? The best jacket until you walk past someone else who's got one. Yeah. And then you hate it. Yeah. I haven't seen one. <laughs> well, I only wore the jacket because it is Melbourne and, you know... Anything's possible? Exactly. If you, if you don't like the weather, just wait around. So even though it felt balmy when I left, I thought... I'll bring it along just in case, which is Murphy's Law, of course. Not Greg Murphy, some other Murphy's yes, Law. Some other Murphy's Law. Yeah. Unhappy uh, weather. No, Mur- <laughs> Murphy's Law is that, it, you know, now that I've brought the jacket, it'll be, you know, streaming sunshine all afternoon. Well, it, it actually has been screaming, and hence we've actually had to move to uh, a cooler table, a slightly mm. cooler climate, but we didn't want to disturb the, 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 the dynamics no. of our... Which I spotted immediately, as you yeah, so kindly spot, uh, pointed out to me. <laughs> Yeah. So where can we go? And I'm staring around the place, can't see anything except for the spare table in the shade. Then we in hop front up and trip me. over the the, 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 the tables in the shade. Yeah. Anyway, viewers, we're back on episode 92, and uh, we're we're going to have lunch here. And I can tell you that uh, Mark and I are having a uh, both having uh, medium rare steaks because um, I've checked uh, with the management, and they under no circumstances will cook you a medium rare steak. Oh, they're going to be like that, are they? let's not worry about what the customer wants let's worry about what the chef wants to cook that's exactly right Uh, i can tolerate medium rare Uh, there's a a bit of basil medium rare or medium well but uh 80,000 no i'm only widening up but he is coming out with a hatchet shortly i know but they do get precious well you've been to le mans God, try ordering a well-done steak in France. Oh. They'll run you out of the country. You You'd be deported. Yes, not Papa Tibble. I know. Yes. No, not a good look. Before we get on to tech and probably more barbecue stuff, just a couple of little things that have come to uh, to hand this week. That uh, this weekend, Sebastian Loeb, the uh, four times WRC champion, is um, actually turning his hand to sports car racing in one of the French championships, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes. You he's pretty good at it. He's um, he's run a couple of times at Le Mans, I believe, and um, with some distinction. Mm, I haven't seen him. He must be Low. sure you were thinking... I thought it was... Uh, 
Colin McRae was no, uh, did a few. Loeb's run at least once at Le Mans. Okay, well then I stand corrected on that. It was obviously he's, pre- uh, he's actually pretty good, I think. He's got a bit of potential. That, that <laughs> I, I reckon. Yeah, he I could reckon. go places. I mean, if he didn't have such a scruffy look, yeah. you know, and look un- unshaven, you know, the media might pay attention to him. He is. He's, because well, he's he got sort of told become, to tidy up. He did. He did. He got. Um, he got a stern lecture earlier in the year from the boss of the Sport, I believe. But he's becoming sort of. Uh, if not in personality, because he has one, he's becoming the Michael Schumacher of uh, world rallying, I would suspect, wouldn't he? How many how many world championships has he won already? Four, Four. from the RC championships, yeah. and, and he still can't, like Rick Kelly, can't get the women. Uh, <laughs> yes, really? Yes, apparently so. So well, um, Rick's doing okay. Yeah, I was going to... Yeah, I don't no, think no. Rick's having any trouble. No. I mean, he's, he's a... Probably verging on the shy side, but he's, yes. I still don't think he's. But sometimes that shyness comes across as arrogant. He I probably do doesn't go to bed lonely too often. No, no, I wouldn't really worry about it. Viewers, we don't have to shed any tears for Rick Kelly and his love life. I think he's doing fine. Still, well, in fact, is he still a has the lady now. Yeah, that's somebody's ex, isn't it? That's yes, the, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no that makes from me. that makes it for, apparently for some interesting. Um, conversations at some of the races and, and, and also a, a lot of sometimes. tension in the catering shed yes yes should we say who <laughs> who's ex uh, no comment from me <laughs> the uh, cleaner Rick Kelly goes out with the ex-girlfriend of a well-known Ford driver <laughs> let's just leave it at that <laughs> yes. shall we let's t- and how plump are these streaky bay oysters that you have so cleverly no, suggested. My heart skipped a beat then because you said, how plump is And I thought, I don't know. I don't know how plump she is. I wouldn't have thought she was plump at all. These oysters, they do look fat, don't they? <laughs> they're fat. A bit is like... Is that P-H-A-T? A bit, Are they fat? No, they're pretty like, tempting. They're fat like the, the V8 supercar Ford parody. Hey, what's going on with the knife and fork here? This oh, is wrapped up be, like a mummy. Be careful that it's been licked. They lick, the, the waitresses lick that off ours to seal that oh, nicely. <laughs> Apparently the cleaner. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> but this is wrapped up tighter than a mummy, honestly. I can see that uh, uh, folks will be probably a regular on the show replacing some of the people that we have had. Um, unlike JP, who, who can't make it this week because, again, down the southeast, opening shopping centres. He's always doing that. He's opening a shopping centre. Always, centre. he's always down the southeast Mount Gambier narrow. What's that court. about? Well, he just opens shopping centres. Didn't you watch Four Corners last last Monday night? No. The Coles and Woolworths and Liquorland and and uh, all these uh, Dan Murphys and petrol stations. They own sixty percent of the retail market. Opening supermarkets more than anywhere else in the world. JP's always opening them for them. What? As an MC. MC. Really? That's right. Well, that's what we that's what we tell everyone. <laughs> He's, Ladies he, and gentlemen, start your trolleys. You can't believe how much we, how we've wound his third wife up. <laughs> his third wife? His third one, okay. <laughs> yes, JP, pity you're not here. All right, now just finally uh, getting rid of... Um, well, by the way, JP, thanks for your advice. And you were involved too on uh, sorting out my iPhone and uh, getting a little application that turns it into a digital recorder excellent device used it just the other day for an interview with can i name drop here should certainly, i name drop certainly. i did an interview with david richards the boss of pro drive who was out visiting and uh, i used my normal mini disc recorder but also as a as a backup but if it you wasn't like the other day was for it? the iphone it was about a month ago he was out was no he, he was out again? this week oh, yeah, he's he out. Out anyway so i did both recordings and then um the little application my two dollar 49 application on the iphone worked a treat 
So my iPhone is becoming a very useful device, as I'd hoped. It's actually replaced three and possibly four devices that I have to carry around because it can now be used as a digital recorder. So, JP, thanks for that advice. Well done. And, uh, JP, uh, just to trump that little bit of information, further research has been done this week and uh, talking to the manufacturers, um, because we have a, a very uh, good uh, relationship there, thanks to JP's mentioning and actually organising a $2.49 sale, that there will be a, uh, an extension called the Speakeasy Connect, which will allow you to transfer your stuff into iTunes and then mess with it. So this could be the last time you see the micro memo on the classic being used, and we'll be moving to the iPhone with a direct transfer into the yeah. iTunes library and on for further processing through the secret works that we do that we can't reveal. But we might. That'll be so, excellent. I look forward to that. Although I do think you still need some sort of external mic on the iPhone to get very good quality because the, the mic in the iPhone, I did. Yeah, there's a vast difference in quality between the recording I did with this interview with David Richards on the mini-disc recorder with an external mic, which sounds like you're just there in the room, as it were, you know, on the iPhone, you're using the, I don't know, the little microphone in there you speak into, I presume. Absolutely. Um, so it's a bit echoey and all that. So there's probably still a little bit of work to do on not so much its functionality, but it's uh, the quality of the recording. How's DR and the helicopter? <laughs> you're referring to his... Um, well, I guess it was... Um, a narrow escape, and particularly the timing of it was a bit scary, wasn't it? The same. Isn't it? Within our motorsport does within that. A, what was in within a day or so, a couple of days of Colin McRae dying in a helicopter crash, and uh, DR's helicopter went down, but obviously without such disastrous co- consequences. Just, but just hasn't hasn't slowed him down. No, uh, just a moment before I think coming into into Stansted, uh, then that's very very lucky. And isn't it funny, Mark, how things like this happen? It motorsport does this. And I can think of going back to that, that the tragic day of, uh, of, of, of 94 with not only uh, Ayrton Senna but uh, Roland Ratzenberger, David Brabham's uh, teammate in the Simtech yeah. team, then moving back 10 years prior to that to Stefan Beloff followed by Manfred Winkelhock a week later. Yeah. Why does it happen? Those two were almost before my time but I was actually unfortunately at Imola the day or the days that Ratzenberger and Senna died and um, probably the worst days of my career. Certainly with Senna, I mean, it's no less a tragedy than the death of Roland Ratzenberger, but, you know, Senna was such such a dominant figure in motorsport and he was such, such a great personality. And, and I, such as journalists do with drivers, I had a really good relationship with Ed and, and, you know, because he, he, did, he liked a bit of banter and he'd, a bit of thrust and parry. He didn't mind you asking him awkward questions and, you know, asking the hard questions because he would actually bat them back and would, um, you know, engage with you, unlike, you know, a lot of drivers, sorry, present company accepted, I know, you know, most, most of them just sulk. You know, if you ask them a difficult question or a hard question or, you know, a critical, they just, you know, they sulk and, and reckon you're a mongrel. Well, you know, the big boys like Senna, they just um, managed to, to deal with it, understand the game and what it's about. But we had, we had many funny exchanges, um, particularly one was at the Adelaide Grand Prix. It must have been about... I don't know, 92, something like that. Anyway. Um, a rainy year, perhaps? Uh, well, yeah, pick the difference. Um, but I was in the press conference, and I was right down the back, and uh, Senna came in, and we were talking, and he suddenly popped up and said, Mark, I can see you down there. There's something different about you. What is it? 
and he was smart enough. He had um, picked out that even though I was down the back of the room, um, just that day, you know, and uh, don't ask me why, but just one of these stupid things you do, I, you know, I was bored and went down into the Rundle Street Mall and uh, got my hair coloured. <laughs> you know, which... As we all do. Unfortunately, viewers, you can't see, but, you know... That's uh, my because they're viewers. Yes, yeah. my hairdo looks like it was sprayed on with silver paint, doesn't it? And I've always been grey, so for me to suddenly <laughs> turn up with uh, dark hair um, probably would have stood out. But um, you know, the, the point I was making really was um, just that you know he didn't mind having a bit of fun, and he was very, very observant. So even though I was way down the back of the uh, audience in the press conference, he sort of picked me out and saw there was something different. So he was, he was the as far as I'm concerned. Um, he was the all-time great. You can have all your debates about, you know, statistics with Michael Schumacher, and, and they are impressive and, and possibly unbeatable. But you know, in terms of sheer personality and charisma, Schumacher doesn't come within a ball's roar of it. And Senna, I'm afraid, you know, and that's why <coughs> Michael, as much as I admire, as you have to, his ability and his achievements, I don't think he'll ever be truly loved. No. You know, people respect Michael Schumacher and admire, but yeah, yeah, but love. They don't really, they don't really love him. The charisma wasn't there. No, he is, you know, he is like a lot of them. Even Mika Hakkinen, you know, surprisingly, do have personalities, but they don't show them in public. You know, they just shut down. They become defensive. You know, Mika Hakkinen, I mean, robots, dull as really. You know, only exceeded by who could ever think that anyone would be more uninteresting than Mika Hakkinen in press conferences and dealing with the media. Um, but then along came Kimi Raikkonen. You know, <laughs> who would who, retire at Monaco and just get straight on the boat yeah, to have a vodka. Yeah, but he's as, you know. But again, these boats, in their private lives, are actually, you know, Raikkonen is a real hellraiser. And Mikita is good fun as well. And same with Michael Schumacher. If you are privileged or get the opportunity to talk to them away from the public view, they're actually charming and entertaining. And Michael, particularly, is a very thoughtful young bloke. But, you know, why the hell they just don't show their personality in public is beyond me you know well i do know why because they become defensive and they get because every utterance is quoted and, and often distorted yes distorted um you know they just shut down and say well better to say nothing or say very bland things but it hurts the sport and it's not just motorsport you know there are lots of other sports where you know these just you know cookie cutter quotes keep coming out and they you know they're interchangeable you know whether roger federer or um Rafael Nadal said them, you wouldn't know if you didn't see who actually made the quote. You've been around media for a long, to- long time. How do you uh, see ethics have been changing over the years, if they have at all? Well, That's an interesting question. Because if you're serious about being a proper journalist and you've had proper training... Um, they are great oysters. Mark, what did you think? Excellent. Those? Yes, I'm still going. I've got one more to go. No, these are lovely. Um... Ethics are not only important, they're the, they're the foundation of your profession because without ethics, what's the use? If you can't be honest and have integrity, um, what's, what's the use? Well, it's all about credibility. And, you know, I like to think I've been around in this business for a long time and one of the reasons is because I've retained credibility over the years. I've never been accused of misquoting anyone in my career. People mightn't like what I've quoted or the way I've used the quote, but I haven't misquoted them or taken the quote out of context. And to me, it's very important. And it would be easy for me to sit here as a grumpy old man or a curmudgeon, even, to say that, well, the standards are slipping and it's not as good as it used to be. I actually don't think the standards have slipped much. Um, There's a lot more pressure on sensationalist journalism these days. But I believe that most, not all, but most journalists, 
particularly in motorsport, you know, are honest individuals who are trying to do a good job. Now, there are some, there are lots of them who don't really understand either their own craft or the sport, and they can make a bit of a meal of it. Um, you know, there actually are relatively few, you know, hardened, seasoned professionals in motorsport journalism in this country. And by that I mean that people have, have a very rounded career in journalism, who've worked in not only different sports, but different subjects. You know, I went through a classic cadetship on the Australian newspaper in their Melbourne Bureau back in the mid-70s, and, you know, it was on sport, and I had to write footy. I hated footy. I couldn't stand Aussie Rules football, but I had to be a football reporter. I was useless at match reports, but I was good at news stories. Oh, they sent me out to do one footy match once only. They never sent me out to do that again. You know, it was just like, what is this gibberish? But anyway, it was part of the train. But I had to do courts. I had to do crime reporting. I had to do general reporting. And, you know, the worst thing, you know, really what brings... One of the most difficult things in journalism is when you're doing crime reporting and you have to go and doorstep the parents or the relatives of a victim of a, of, of a crime or a murder or something, you know, and that steals you. You know, and it's it's a very disturbing thing, and, and something I never want to repeat. You know, I haven't I got out of it, and you know, have spent my career in the cushy environments of international sport and motorsport, and that's fine by me. But I'm glad I had that basic training, and they teach you get taught as a young reporter, or used to, you know, things like you know defamation, you know, libel and slander, which is now just you know there's a catch-all phrase for defamation. You would be amazed how many journalists actually don't understand the concept, not much less the rules, and then there are quirks in the system like in New South Wales, they have the most um, the harshest defamation rules in the world, and they're different from everywhere else in Australia, and in New South Wales in very simple terms, you know, truth is no defence I would be uh, happy then uh, that uh, Craig Denyer didn't live in New South Wales um, That's true, no, you can get to, and we have to be particularly careful of that in auto action um, <laughs> well we don't have to be because, you know well, I'm not worried about it because, you know, I understand the laws of defamation. But um, as a magazine, for example, we had to be a little more careful than others based outside of New South Wales simply because of the fact that the magazine is based there. Um, so they're all the things that, that, that make up being a good journalist in it, but it all comes back to ethics so that, you know, you, you protect, protect your um, sources at all costs. You know, even to the point, I don't, I've never had to, it's never been tested, but even to the point of you don't reveal your sources, you'd go to jail before you do, because you work up relationships with people. And part of the, a large part of the business of finding out things, and a big part of my job at Auto Action is digging out news, you know, finding out what's happening before people are ready to tell you, which is why I annoy them all. But um, to do that, you have to make a lot of confidences, uh, a lot of contacts and have these sources who are prepared to talk to you, um, you know, as long as they know that they, they'll remain anonymous because they're prepared to let you know what's happening on the understanding that you don't reveal their identity or give any clue as to where the, the story came from. So, and they have to trust you and you have to, tr you have to trust them equally that the information they're giving you is, is, is accurate, well, as accurate as they know. By keeping those uh, standards of ethics, uh, that would also allow you to be able to work closely with brands that may compete with each other because if they feel comfortable that you are keeping things which are commercially in confidence within that, uh, that uh, communication, then they're okay with others. So what's good for the goose, good for the gander. Um, well, you must always be impartial. That's, that's one of the basic rules of, of journalism. And, you know, despite what people may think, 
you know, as far as I can, as far as human nature allows, I certainly don't have favourites. You can't play favourites, you know. Now, you may have, of course, you just have personalities in the sport and the endeavour where you just get on better with some people than others. And I might like, as a person and as a driver, driver A better than driver B, or certainly driver C over here is a complete mongrel. You know, exactly, a complete C. But when I write, but when I write about it, you know, I've got to remove those, you know, emotions away from it as best I can. You, you know, you don't always succeed. You know, you're only human, and prejudices will come in. But the aim must always be to be as fair and as impartial as possible, because it would be very easy in any area of the media if you had, you know, if you wanted to, you could shaft someone very easily. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, your job is not a tool, you know, just to get payback. This is a very serious conversation. Well, let's just wind it up. Yeah. No, I mean, it was the welcome to the Mark Fogarty show. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, and, and my life. <laughs> but that's okay, because we like you. Um, did, did you, you get know, the book? This is your life? No, 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 no. Webster's, Not yet. Webster's working on it. Yeah, yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, I think we should lighten it up. But you did ask the question. I did, and I yes, thought it did. was... Uh, it's, it's, the viewers would be very interested in that. Uh, well, yeah, that'll all come off as a complete pompous ass. No, you're fine. Um, did you realise this week that NASCAR bought Grand Air? I thought they already had it. Well, apparently they bought it. Anyway, that's just uh, so... I don't well, they've know, had a close association for a long time. They, they, they wanted a better watch. Did they? they wanted, Rolex, oh, they wanted Rolex. Rolex, really? That's right, because you have NASCAR drives somewhere. Rolexes? I'm not a... I don't like Rolexes. The only good Rolex is the Daytona, which is the most... Isn't that the most exclusive one? Are you into watches, Marcus? Uh, most drivers are, that's why I ask. Oh, well, I... No, I don't know a lot about them, but I do like my uh, Ayrton Center special replica... Oh, not replica, genuine Ayrton Center limited edition tag hewer. I've got. Cool. And I like watches yeah. when I'm sponsored by them, as in Maurice Lacroix. So they oh. are very nice Who? watches. Maurice, <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to plug. <laughs> That's because you want one, <laughs> and you will get one Damn it. sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now before we move on to... Tech, so that's interesting because in sports cars, and you're a big sports car fan. Well, I like sports right. cars. And I wasn't so much. But I went to mid-Ohio in July, and the Indy cars were on there, and that's why I went. First track? First time you've been to the track? Funnily enough, yeah, even though I lived See in the See any Amish? Yeah, no, I didn't, but I should have, shouldn't I? But you, And it's a very twisted little sucker, and it's not a bad little spot. It's good. But I went there because of the Indy cars. Yes. Um, but the LMS were on. That was on uh, that double bill. Yeah, I saw that. I actually was standing in the press box. I watched that. That was grim. Um, Andrew Green was it? Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. yeah. No, no. Deferrin. Deferrin. The Deferrin um, Acura team. Yeah. That guy. What's his name? Keith Jones or Kevin Jones? Anyway, he's on the mend. But uh, uh, funny Keith Jones. Quite, quite true. Yeah. In fact, uh, it's uh, International Paulie that's uh, doing the PR yep. sort of uh, for Deferrin. Uh, Funnily enough, I saw International Paulie. <laughs> Not there, but uh, well, I, like he's based in London now. I saw him at Snetterton at a BTCC meeting um, not long before that. So um, funny you should mention him. Well, we should mention him because last week was the first round of the new Super League formula. The uh, 17 football teams, soccer football teams, which have got together um, and raced at uh, a pretty ugly wet uh, Donington Park. Uh, there's only six races in the first year, but the, the migration is, to, uh, after five years, to be 17 races with four overseas. 
Now, uh, it's funny because uh, they're all panels, chassis. I figure they're all left over from uh, the IRL. The champ car. So, the champ car. Yeah. Champ, you know. And they're also called the GP07 or the 08. Mm-hmm. So Don's got his name in there as well, uh, managing the Ego. And I think the engine's from Menard or someone like that. It doesn't make... Uh, yeah, make, is it, it is. It, but it all went good. Yeah, interesting concept. Um, I think international... Paulie um, has got his work cutting out, work cut out promoting that one though. I I'd, mean, do we need another one make race series in the world? Not I'd so be going sure. for one percent of the merchandise. Yeah, because if the footy guys get their hands on it, that's uh, that'll be cool. But I think the China, the Chinese, Marcus to answer your question, the Chinese team franchise won the race. Really? Not with a, well, but not with a Chinese driver, obviously, um, some European driver, but the the Chinese football club that's involved. Had the colours on their car. Yes, uh, Beijing, uh, something or other. Yeah. That end up taking over the uh, the Fishnet Stadium as their home ground once the Paralympics. Oh, the birdcage. Yeah, the birdcage. Really? The, the Paralympics are over. Were you you are a there? font of did information. No, uh, no, I didn't approve of the Olympics in the Beijing. In Beijing, don't start me on that one. <laughs> this is only a three-hour. Yeah, show. exactly. <laughs> and people want to learn interesting, amusing things. But no, sorry, I just finished. What impressed me was I'm not a big fan normally of the ALMS or any sports car racing because I think sports car racing just in recent years has just been, you know, split up and confused, and there's no continuity of the rules. Um, you know, either in Europe or in the United States, but there does some stability does seem to be coming into sports car racing, and I was very impressed by the sports, the ALMS sports car racing I saw at Mid Ohio. Um, it's the first time for a few years that I'd seen them, but the standard of the cars, you know, those Audis and the uh, um, LMP2 Porsches and the Acuras, yeah, the Acura, they're class Drayton with the class cars, and they've got a lot of interesting. Um, non-automotive commercial sponsors in fact you know if you look to the sponsorship now it's obviously not as big as it looks but just the brand names on the side of the cars like Lowe's which is a big um, hardware chain in the United States um, you know, a bit like Bunnings here um, that was a big name that was on the side of one of the teams one of the Honda teams I think Acura teams um, the Audis are just beautiful cars they sound rubbish though honestly those diesel yeah that is just the, uh, that is if that's the future of motor racing, I'm going to go and take up tiddlywinks, honestly. But in general, sorry to digress, the sports car racing in the states is <laughs> is, uh, is is looking interesting and looking very professional, and I think it's got um, a good future. And if they can completely integrate it with the rules in Europe and get some sort of future direction, and they sort out what they're going to do with um, LMP1, the top prototype class. Is it going to remain prototypes? Will there be closed coupes or whatever? I think sports cars could be in for a good comeback. Well, in a week's time at uh, Silverstone, the final round of the uh, European or the Le Mans series, uh, the ACO will be announcing the 2009 regulations, and I suppose mm-hmm. we'll get a bit of an insight on that. But already the Total Peugeot uh, 908 uh, LMP1 team has said we'll go to Petit Le Mans, the penultimate race, mm. Uh, for the season, which is a, a wonderful track, also owned by Don Panos, yeah. um, in uh, good old Brasselton, Georgia, a town that Kim Basinger decided that she once wanted to buy and did so um, after she'd made her money in the, the Batman movies. I didn't then, know that. Uh, sold it back to the local uh, whittlers of uh, wood. 
Wood whittlers, yeah. Wood, wow. Wood whittlers. Yes. Well, what else is one whittle? the useless facts that you do know. It is. It is amazingly uh, <laughs> useless. That, the Peugeot. Yes. Is a sensational looking car. It is. If a, more sports cars looked like that, you know, you'd, you'd get a Woody for that. Speaking of whittling, wouldn't you? But the reason they lost Le Mans is, was because it was really, you know, after all the testing and everything they went on about, is that the thing did one lap less, one lap less than the Audis per fuel, and they looked inele- unelegant with the uh, with the people uh, having their heads stuck in uh, to the car um, and their legs in the air. Well, mm. the fuel is being supplied. Now, we're going to go for a th- another intermission. We never do two intermissions, but we are today's the stakes are arriving back soon. <laughs> Assassination. <laughs> you assassinated that stake, Mark Fogarty. And it was well done, thank goodness. You uh, had me scared there for a, a while. <laughs> Scary, we like it was to well, do. It was well done, and it was well done. It was a very good stake. I vouched for it. It was, didn't squeal when he stabbed it. No. Zuka, how was your crumbed uh, F and F? Actually, it was very good. It was very good. It's always hard to find a good beer-battered fish, one that's not overly beer-battered around the place. So. Or too much Coopers. Or too much Coopers. I bet you his trainer will be happy to hear that he's eating yes. battered fish and chips. Yes, no, well, uh, my one one meal that I'm allowed a week. Gentlemen, <laughs> gather round the microphone because now... Well, we're going to be conspiratorial, are we? No, there's just noisy people oh. and obviously drinks are, are coming to, uh, you know... Uh, In effect. Into mm. effect with them. And we'll talk Working to them to later. Yes, we'll be talking to them later as the sun uh, goes down over the, the YA. Particularly the table with the young ladies attached to it. It's tech time! <laughs> At last. <laughs> God, it took us long enough to get here, didn't it? Have you any idea what's going to be happening next week? In the world of... Apple technology? No. Well... Pray tell. There will be new iPods, but not just new iPods with wide screens in the nano range, but a new version of iTunes, iTunes 8, which will incorporate the ability to download and play HD TV. Wow. Quality material through your Apple TV or not necessarily on your iPod because it doesn't have the resolution 1920 by 1280 which is the standard resolution of HDTV but very interesting that that Apple is adopting the ability to be able to push that amount of data down through their network so it's pretty exciting stuff there's also only if you've got really good high speed broadband though and that's why you should be checking especially in Richmond to see whether you can get a connection with Internode to have ADSL 2, 24 megabit per second. I've got ADSL 2 Plus now with, I'm not going to mention their name, the big one. Nasty. Yeah. Well, you're locked in, aren't you? I can't get cut. Don't start me on this either. I can't get cable where I live in Richmond, you know. It's in the street, but apparently while I was away overseas, they put a moratorium on laying any more cable around the... Well, I'm laying cable every morning, but apparently it's, <laughs> apparently it's different. And the government said you can't no. lay cable anymore. It drives me crazy. I had cable in Sydney. It was perfect. The shabby side of the show yeah. is... So is this good, though, that you no, get it, HDTV it, it, on your... It, what, can I get that on my iPod, then? What it really means is that... There my, will be, my iPhone, sorry. There will be HDTV quality downloadable from the iTunes music store mm. to people who have devices like Apple TV mm-hmm. and will then be able to move beyond the 640 by 480 pixel yep. standard def. But where? Uh, what, uh, what, put it on your plasma screen at home? Exactly. Yeah, right, because it'd be no good on your your iPod well, well it won't look any better than what, you, what you've no. got because I mean we're, we're limited physically by the size of the device I also should point out to you that um, 
having have you actually watched HDTV proper? Yes. 1080p 1080p correct P is the best I is yes, interlaced where every line is uh, P is in, in, progressive uh, uh, that, that's right 50 frame 50 yeah. feel okay. 50 frames per second 25 frames yeah. per second well I've got an HDTV at home and I've got an HDTV um, set top box hard drive recorder and I've also got my original plasma screen big TV which is standard definition yep. the difference I'm telling you is minimal I think they're selling a crop on this. I mean, it, it, yes, it is better, and it, perhaps with Blu-ray discs, which I'm not familiar, I haven't tried Blu-ray, you might get the full effect. But on TV, from what I, I've watched, I reckon the difference between standard definition and high definition The public is, is, has been completely misled mm. for many, many years. In fact, probably the best part of this, uh, of this century as to what the standards are with HD. Suddenly we've had like all of these large screens which go HD TV and now there's full HD. Mm. Well well what was the story? Were we having a half HD then, do we call that? What really it meant was that the HD signal may have been sent out, but it was being downsampled to display on screens which simply didn't have the resolution. So therefore you'll see screens which say uh, 1370 78 by 768 pixels. The standard definition is, uh, is 1920, which is again 1080p. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's very misleading. I'm surprised the ACCC hasn't got onto it. Well, most shows broadcast in HD, if you actually check, um, well, in Australia, I guess they're only ever at best 1080i, and a lot of them are actually broadcast in um, what's I mean, high definition. Can it go as low as 576? That's 576 P. is standard. Yeah, that's that's standard, but there's a high definition version of it. I think it's 576p or something. Then it goes up to 724. Why do I know this? I don't know either. And it's but, easy, but, isn't but, it? But there, but there are grades. What I'm saying, viewers, is that there are grades of HD television. You don't always get the full deal. And to my understanding in Australia, we aren't getting and we do not get the full-on true high-definition experience, which is 1080p. We do when it comes to Channel 10 and NASCAR. Oh, do we? Oh, OK. If you go to the channel yeah, I watch HD, uh, I'm not sure if it's HD inside Marcus Ambrose's 59 mm. car, but outside, it's yeah. it's HD. And uh, what's also good is that the Formula One telecast uh, a couple of weeks ago from mm. Valencia, which offered two times. Yes. They went Live. HD at 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a significant preamble. Mm. And then the standard def at 11.20. Um, it, it's, it's getting there, and I suppose we are, uh, the consumers are falling foul of incompetence. Mm. In there the is a standard now though if you go and buy an HD TV apparently there's a standard like little logo on it which tells you it's full HD and that's the Monty, the full Monty. So but even uh, you know the greatest revolution in television which has been in this country which has slow to been very slow to take off and people just really should get on board with it is the switch to digital TV. It's a revelation. I mean if you plug in oh well, I get digital TV you plug it in the picture quality compared with the old analog signal is night and day. You know, if you've got a big plasma screen and you're watching the old analog signal through the aerial, you know, it's, it's going to be pretty ropey. You know, it'll be big but ropey. You go and buy yourself a set-top box, which you can get for like what, fifty bucks or something. I just bought and, one. And fifty bucks. And the picture, the picture is just beautiful. 
I mean, it's such, you know, you might be in the one little odd area where you might be getting good reception, but to, in my experience, like, I used to live in Lane Cove in Sydney, you know, buried among the hills. You used to have the worst TV reception also, ever. And a lovely spot. It is a lovely spot, but it's rubbish for TV reception, <laughs> even though the transmitters are, like, looking over you. When I had analogue signal, I couldn't get stations there. Most of them, you know, in good reception for love nor money. Went out and bought a set-top box, plugged it in to what I thought was the aerial connection, had a bit of fiddle around and all that, but, you know, got a good quality picture. Later discovered the aerial connection in this apartment complex didn't even work. So I was just getting the picture out of the air from the back of the set-top box, but it was still better than the analogue signal. So, you know, for the 50 or 70-odd bucks, I reckon everyone should just go out get an e- a standard definition well they can get a you might as well get a an hd set top box now they're not much more i mean just overnight if you're using the old signal city aerial you get such a transformation in picture quality um it's worth a step anyway and as i said before to my eyes <laughs> despite the glasses or because of the glasses <laughs> looking at hd compared with a good sd television there's so little difference it's not funny look i mean without, but i don't know anything about technology without uh, john singleton and uh, jerry harvey i mean where would we have been i mean they wouldn't have been able to afford race course race horses and race courses mm. for that matter and having lived in in, in larnaca Bay, you would have also remember <laughs> a, uh, a, uh, a great uh, Chinese restaurant, the restaurant there called the, the Cow Yin. Mm-hmm. I used to get my friends and I'd say, look, why don't you come over and we'll go out for dinner. We you want to go to, want to go and have some Cow Yin. And they went, no, I, I want to have some Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? up in hard. the little Lane Cove village? That's it. Yeah. Lanako Bay. Bay, sorry, yes. <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. And in fact, I had um, friends who lived in, in Petersham. But once they, well, they, they bought a place at Petersham, and it was on the side of the railway line there, but it was just, it was a speed hump right out in front of their house. So they lived in Petersham Heights. Yeah. It's like in London when I used to live there, you'd, you'd, you'd change, you know, in the South London there was a suburb called Stockwell. It was a pretty, you know, it wasn't a desirable place. So its name got turned into St. Ockwell. <laughs> and place, and uh, Battersea became Batersia. So I hadn't heard the Lana Cove one. That's very good. So what else is happening in the world of technology? Well, um, I'll tell you, uh, there's an upgrade to that great SpeakEasy application that you've uh, just bought the other day Mm -hmm. called SpeakEasy Connect coming in the next couple of days that uh, is, as as you uh, yourself has told me, that it's a great voice recording application Mm -hmm. downloadable from the Apple uh, iTunes Music Store um, that extends the the functionality of your iTunes, uh, sorry, your iTouch or your iPhone to become a voice recorder. Well, now you'll be able to transfer those files directly on to iTunes for further editing. Excellent. Now, there's an application we use uh, called... Uh, which International Paulie uh, uh, gave to me called Levelator. Mm-hmm. And Levelator is a great program because it's A-free. <laughs> we love the free yeah. And uh, what it does is in an environment like this where there's a lot of ambient noise mm. changes and you might be quiet, Marcus, or I might be uh, loud and then... Uh, um, I'm louder. He's louder, <laughs> Nicky. Um, it keeps it all constant. But conversely, it can take in the sound of a Harley going by, which is good. But birds tweeting? Birds tw- twittering. Twittering, are they tweeting? As well. It helps with the atmosphere. It does. Hello. <laughs> Which is particularly important when we're live on location in Port Melbourne. 
or South Melbourne actually we are now we've crossed the border are we yes we're in South Melbourne we're in the back of South Look, Melbourne perhaps you might like to ask some questions about technology um, I can give you some interesting uh, updates what's been happening with Google this week Google has reduced, reduced released yeah <laughs> Chrome Chrome you know about it. I've read about it. What is it? It's a new browser? <laughs> it is a new browser open uh, standard technology that basically, um, up until now, browsers have really been uh, applications mm -hmm. that have run all sorts of different things. When you're on Facebook and you're inter interacting with Facebook, you're running an application. Yeah, I die first before I go on Facebook, but go on. Uh, You'd be on Facebook, wouldn't you? I'll have to be. Yeah, look. Standard, what do you have to be? Standard practice, I suppose. Oh, good. Expose yourself to the whole world. I'm already exposed, so. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> Being in the... But what... How, but, but, I'm interested the, in this the, browser the, because the, why the, is it different from the, Firefox, the, the key, for example? The key difference is the architecture is that it assumes that most web, app, web uh, experiences are you're running unique applications and that one application which fails will kill the browser. Now... Each application or each page or each each tab as such will be treated as a separate program and can be closed and as a task independently without killing the whole browser. It's also gone and cleverly decided that well, you know, considering that tabs are the most likely um, uh, sort of the, the first user interface of the customer, mm -hmm. why don't we put the tabs on top? Mm -hmm. Because that sort of makes a lot of sense. Mm. And, in, and thirdly, it's open, uh, open source, which means it's open to a huge range of developers, mostly from Romania, because it's cold, dark, uh, the wages are low, and, um, <laughs> and uh, they have good connections. Is it the new India, as far as software development is concerned there? <laughs> you, Sorry. Don't get into Qantas. <laughs> yeah, call centres. But so I mean, no, that, no, that no tab, the tab thing is important, is it? Because I remember when I switched from IE, whatever it was, <laughs> to oh, Firefox. Yeah. Um, the big breakthrough on Firefox, Fox, as I recall, it was that you could open up multiple windows or multiple tabs quite easily. Yes, quite true. And I think that uh, look, the internet is evolving, and so are the user experience. That that sooner or later. Uh, you will see that, that applications even uh, in the publishing world like Photoshop and mm -hmm. Illustrator and Acrobat and, and InDesign, um, to name a few, will become web applications. Right. And in fact, you have there earlier in the year we saw that Adobe provided a Photoshop editing equivalent that was a web-based application which was free. Not everybody needs every single functionality within Photoshop. Some are designers, mm -hmm. some are retouchers, some are just simply production yep. uh, production uh, engineers. Why let? Why not let them um, uh, add the components and pay for the components, the editing components they require at the time? And with uh, Adobe set to announce um, or actually release the CS4 suite of tools on September 23 in America, um, uh, I hear you've got an invitation to that. Mark, I, I, I hope I'll be carrying the bags because it's, uh, you know, the, you, you, you've, you've tricked me into, into going on to technology, but really you're, you're more closer to the source than I expected, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've uh, seen through my cunning plan here. <laughs> hey, um, one thing is, as you know, I'm rooted in PC technology, which means, of course, that I'm on the dark side. 97% of the world, look at the content, the other 3% create, right. it's not your fault. So... Why should I be switching to 
Apple? Well, I don't think there is any particular compelling reason because I wouldn't want to be religious about it. Right. Um, I do have PCs because I use them use a PC to verify the content that all the other people are looking at um, mm-hmm. uh, on their browsers. If I couldn't do that, that would be uh, be unwise, but I think perhaps you should be asking uh, Mr. Sakanovi when he uh, returns. Yeah, well, if you were here, I would. The bill. Um, <laughs> let's hope where he's so. gone. Yeah. I hope so. Um, I thought he just got bored and wandered away. No, here, having received a new PowerBook uh, or MacBook Pro 17 inch with all the gear, mm. everything money could buy in it, uh, and uh, simply because I uh, pushed it up to the max specification wise, and, and JP stuck it to him. Um, he's uh, he's uh, <laughs> he's taken delivery of it last night to go. Why didn't I do this before? So How much we'll, is it? How much is it? Uh, around about uh, two and a half thousand, Mick. Ooh. But the real price is. Wow. So um, no one is getting in trouble. Are you? We don't want to be, you know, stealing from uh, V8 supercar budgets to buy uh, PowerBook uh, 17 inches. Mark wanted to know. What's it take to get me over from the dark side to a map, Marcus? Well, it's self-explanatory. The minute you turn it on and open it up, it's just it just captivates you, it just draws you into its brilliance, the simplicity, and the bright colours and the way the little icons pop up. <laughs> <laughs> it looks nice. Yeah, it looks nice. A new girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> Have we set a new world record for the length of the show yet? Uh no. We must be getting there. Oh, no, this is only one segment, isn't it? Gosh. Have you had enough? No, no, I'm just fascinated. This, it's we don't have any any rules. We're just winging this. it. We are but winging it. Do you think we've been winging it today? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I think we're coming, I think we're coming to the end of our tether. And, uh, All right. No barbecue? Oh, barbecue. Well, we what did steak sandwiches. Yes. But uh, we don't have JP, you know, available because uh, he's not allowed out. He's the BBQ... Uh, guru isn't he? he he does he does know his stuff but uh, uh, I don't have any barbecue stuff for you specifically today if Glenn Code had turned up as promised I do have one little thing about barbecuing ah got uh, got a bit of a hot tip from my mum who is a big lover of uh, obviously Foxtel and the food channel I just thought this was rather odd I didn't know you could actually marinate steaks in Jack Daniels and Coke Wow there's a little recipe, simply, viewers, get your steaks, get a pan, lay them out, onion, garlic, and a can of Jack Daniels and Cola, and stick it in the fridge. The longer, the better. Now, that surprises me, considering your connection with Paul Dumbrell. You should have known that. Why? Well, he was hanging out with LP. And they were <laughs> years ago yeah but yeah. there would have been something in the fridge he would have seen uh, it coming through yeah so I, I just thought that was rather odd how would you it's just it just seems against all laws of barbecuing slash mm. steaks to have coke marinating or it cola does. as such marinating on your steaks Contra- I'm yet to try that but yeah. well, well we'll be interested to hear from that uh, from you next right. radio show yeah yeah right hit me up and I'll see, have the see, answer see you later <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Where are you off to next? It's uh, it's been really good fun, really good fun. Thank you. Uh, where am I off to next? Uh, Phillip Island. Oh this no! Season. You're going to the Muscle Car Masters tomorrow. Of endurance. No, oh, no, can't. no. I have cancelled that. Sorry, I should have let you know. Yeah, no, I had to cancel that plan. Other well, things. so was Jack. In fact, this came up for a start. So was Jack Ellsgood who, who arrived, but it went. They said you forgot to put your entry in. He goes, but I'm Jack. And they went, oh, you're in there. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, no, I had to change the plans at last minute, so unfortunately I wasn't able to get to Muscle Car Masters, which is a shame because it's a good event. So next stop is uh, Phillip Island and the season of endurance starts. It's only two races, I don't quite know how it's a season. It's a rather long season. Yeah, a rather short one. But, two races. but the <laughs> LNH 500, which V8 Supercars have pointed out to us, is what we have to call it. Anyway, LNH. LNH. Oh, the and Hanson started in Artarman, New South Wales, just round the back of the ABC, a little smelly old little electrical shop. Because I used to work for ABC Television, and I knew that. Gore Hill. An account at Gore Hill. Yeah, which is no longer being redeveloped. Anyway, the L and H 500 is at Phillip Island, and we're going to learn a lot more about how everyone's shaping up for Bathurst, and it's a new format with two races on the Saturday. Who's your tip for, for Phil Island for the big one? Winterbottom and uh, Stephen Richards. Mark Winterbottom and Stephen Richards. Probably you can't Frost. go past them on pace, so if they don't trip over themselves, like Frosty unfortunately did at Bathurst, um, I can't see them being beat. But Lowndes and Windcup, very strong combination as well. Tander and Scaife. I mean, there are a lot, there are a lot of good combinations, but form so far, Frosty and Richo. Yep, and the Hill. Who do you think will be the first to go out with a broken cigarette lighter? What? <laughs> Where? <laughs> Who? The Hill. Bathurst. Oh, the Hill. Bald Hill, as it once used to be called. Ah, well, that's a whole new one. Well, again, FPR's the team to beat. It's an, it's, it's an easy Who prediction. Who will be first out? First out? First to ah, retire. Right. Well, if I, cruel, if I was really cruel, I could suggest Mark Scaife. <laughs> a repeat of 2006, uh, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Don't bring but no. Perkins into a slot. His fault. Uh, well, it wasn't Jack's fault completely because it started on the start line, didn't it? So where does the blame lie there? First I'll let others. Skark mate. Skarky. Skark mate. No, it is. It's interesting. There's um, there's the potential for really good races. Probably not so much at Phillip Island because. The rear tyre gets a battering, hammering there, so there's going to be a lot front, of yeah. and, and a lot of strategy. So Bathurst, but I think Bathurst is really going to be on, and I think it'll be fascinating. Last two years, we've seen incredibly tight finishes. As we draw to a close, Mark has, I can hear the cogs turning as he comes to grips with to try and beat the soap suds. Yeah. The best excuse. I give up. I can't think of a best excuse, but I can think of. The best way to lose an unlosable race, which involves an excuse, and that was <laughs> Nigel Mansell back in Canada. Canada, yeah, ninety-one or ninety-two. 89. I can't remember. Canada no, 89. was it eighty-nine? That early was 90, it? Early, ninety-one. No. Anyway, he he had the Canadian <laughs> Grand Prix shot to bits. Comes down, comes down to the last lap. He's, so he's cruising on the last lap and he's waving to the public. And of course, while waving, he manages to knock, well, the story at the time was he managed to, to knock the cutoff switch on the car and it ground to a halt. Nelson Pico just goes scooting past and wins in, in a, <coughs> excuse me, in, oh. a, in a Benetton. Now, at the time, we all took, <laughs> that's great joy in saying, you know, well, Nigel, come that's on, mate, too first, first rule of basic driver training, you know, keep both hands on the wheel, you know, and he's waving. But apparently what really happened, it doesn't make it any better for him, but what really happened was that in those days, in the early days of, relatively early days of, you know, electronics and engine management, um, it, the cars didn't have anti-stall on them. So he was 
going so slowly and distracted by waving to the crowd royally as Nigel would that he let the he let the revs drop so low that the engine just cut its it thought oh shut down and it stopped now i would have thought that's probably the best way to lose the unlosable race until johnny reed came along at mid ohio in the indy light series um, just back in july he had the race shot to pieces came into the last lap james davison the young aussie was chasing him down but this race had been run in varying weather conditions, slippery track, and, you know, all the ears were falling off the track and spinning. Anyway, coming into about the second last lap or something, you know, another idiot fell off the track and a yellow is thrown. So the field's going to finish under caution. So all Johnny Reed has to do is drive to the flag. No one can pass him. The field's all bunched up, so they're coming around. I'm standing in the press box watching and thinking, oh, well, good performance by James Davis, only 40 way back drove a level-headed race from 7th or something and they're coming around the last corner Reed peels off into the pit lane what? what's going on here? James Davison goes through yay I win because Johnny Reed, the New Zealand driver just got confused didn't know what happened with a finish under a yellow flag so saw some yellow flashing lights which are apparently a tow truck driving off the pit lane so he followed it in and crossed the line and, of course, ended up finishing ninth because everyone else screamed past him while he's blah, 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 blah down the pit lane. <laughs> he's pulled up outside his pit box thinking, oh, I've won. <coughs> All these people rushing towards me, they're going to congratulate me. No, they're an angry crowd who in Middle, e- Middle Ages days would have had pitchforks and, and, <laughs> and, uh, and sickles and stones and, and would have been trying to... Torches. Yeah, exactly. Would have been you know, out to get him. So, oh, what happened? Oh, you know, it's screwed up. So that's probably the most bizarre way to, to lose a race. So not quite a best excuse but two pretty interesting ways to throw away a race that you couldn't possibly lose they are some great Amish yeah (laughs) damn those pitchforks damn those pitchforks yeah they would have you're right torches pitchforks and everything would have been out chasing we don't want to be uh, finishing this note on uh, Zaza Gabor or Eddie Albert and uh, Greenacres but uh, I suppose it's uh, it, it is fitting because Mid-Ohio is just like that. I hope you'll join us for episode 100 um, in probably, well... I'd love to. It'd sometime be between now and the end of the year. Mm. There could be... It'd a, be seven uh, episodes, a, would a it? Glass of, a glass of wine involved. But uh, we're not quite sure when it'll be. Thanks for making the time to come today to uh, on short notice to the O'Connell Centenary Hotel. A lovely spot. And your lunch was nice. How was your steak? Again? Excellent. Again, he's at it twice. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know what we're doing, especially after a few wines, viewers. Thank you, Marcus. No worries, John. Thank you for having me, and we'll look forward to episode 100, viewers. Good night, viewers. Good night, viewers. See you, guys. See ya.